Hi, I'm Zach, and this podcast had side effects of burping, laughing, chugging, historical laughter. Ask your doctor if this podcast is right for you. I don't know. <laughs> no, I liked it. I liked okay. it. I liked it. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was good. Hello, I'm Caitlin, and today we're talking big pills, big pharma, and big money. Oh, big, big, big. I love it. Big, big money. Emphasis on the money, right? And welcome to Manipulating the Masses. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You, the people, have the power. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. Popping pills. Yes. Getting thrills. Let's do it. Oh, I like that. Uh, we're going to be talking about the marketing tactics deployed by pharmaceutical companies. So on that note, Zach, do you have any of your favorite drug ads handy? Yes, I actually like I have them in my head. I didn't yep. pull them up. Cool. Um, uh, I have I'm, I'm going to be honest, 99.9% .9 of these I despise with like a fiery passion. I hate that. I hate them. I despise them all the way through. But the one that I can remember is uh, Ozempic. Uh, it's like a heartburn pill. And it's just, it was just, oh, 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 Zampic. You know, exactly. As soon as I was singing it, you, you it rang in. And I think that was like, you know, quality uh, as like, you know, bottom of the barrel. It's like reality TV quality, you know, like it's not going to win any awards, but there are better rea reality TVs than other ones. And that would be the one that I have. That so that's the one that's stuck out in your mind when I asked you. Yeah. Yes. It's funny because I didn't recognize that name at all. I was like, oh, that must be a Midwest <laughs> drug that they're marketing. <laughs> but then you sang the jingle and I just have to confirm. I have to double down on the power of the jingle. I completely agree. I completely agree. I don't have any specific ads. I mean, I do. There's like the one with the depression and she has a frowny face yes. and she holds up the sign in front of her face. Um, but I also just think of like gold when golden fields and like families running out mm. in fields like that imagery is directly associated forever with yes. like erectile dysfunction. <laughs> yep. Because yep. I, I was going to say my other one was Cialis, the erectile dysfunction one, where they had the couple like holding hands in the separate bathtub. Do you remember that? And they're like sitting on a beach. You don't remember those old ones? They would just like hold hands in a bathtub. And I like that was all about yeah. the dude's dick, not really uh, needing some help, needing yeah. some assistance. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you always need it in the bathtub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for him, man. Good for him. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's those ones stick out to me. But you're so right. Like most of them are just B-roll yep. happiness. Yep. And I'd say one that I hate right off the bat, and yep. it goes into the jingle ad as well. Is there's I forget the name Sky Rizzy. I think oh, is the yeah. pill, and it's for you know some skin issues. But that dumb ass jingle. Nothing is everything. Oh yes. Oh, 
that does not make sense. Why would you, what are you doing? That has nothing to do with anything. It's just like, yeah, it's, it sticks in your head, but I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. What does that even mean? I just have to also maybe expand on the jingle. Like while yes, the jingle is effective because you just saying that and I was like, oh yeah, Sky Rizzy, 100%. But as soon as you say the name before you recite the jingle, I don't know any of these drugs. I don't know what they do. Mm -hmm. And the jingle, to your point, I had never thought about the jingle or the words, like the lyrics, but they don't make any sense. No, for skin, like like, what? No. Get out so of let's here. for a second give hats off to the composer of the jingles, sure. but the lyrics and the language gets an F in our book. Yes, right absolutely. off the book. Don't okay, like it. Right off the Don't bat. like it at all. All right, so let's dive into the history of pharmaceutical companies. And I think what got me started thinking about this, obviously, I think it got all of America started thinking about the marketing behind pharmaceutical companies is, of course, Purdue Pharma. Mm. Uh, Purdue is directly responsible for the opioid epidemic. Um, And I'm going to get into that a little bit. I'm going to breach the surface of the opioid epidemic to kind of jog some memories here. Um, But I won't get too far into it. Um, The groundwork for the crisis was laid in the 1980s when pain increasingly became recognized as a problem. This was back in 1980. Mm. And in 1995, the American Pain Society, which, fun fact, <laughs> there's an that's American actually, Pain Society. That's actually my band name, too. <laughs> Interesting enough. Well, double interesting enough, it was an organization in Chicago, Illinois. So you might be a lot of pain in Chicago. A lot of pain. A lot of pain here. Um, So this was in 1995. The American Pain Society was a physicians' organization launched a campaign that framed pain as a fifth vital sign uh, that should be monitored and managed as a matter of course in the same way as a heart rate and blood pressure. So just picture yourself going to the doctor. They check your blood pressure. your eyes like make sure that you are a living breathing human being and everything is good but then they ask you about your pain tolerance which i don't even know where to begin unpacking this like pain to me is so it's subjective it's not like like a heart rate is a number on a device that you can say okay you have heart problems or no you don't have heart problems um and pain is subjective and like the blood pressure one is metrics too, but I still don't know what it means when they say it to me. They're me like neither. 120 over whatever. I'm like, okay, I, I, I guess I should learn that as we get older. Yeah, I found out the other day I have low blood pressure. And she was like, did you know that? I was like, no, because I never, nobody took time to explain what these numbers meant. You have low br- blood pressure? You do not give me a low br- blood pressure vibe, Caitlin. That's a little, <laughs> that's a little surprising to me. <laughs> you know, congratulations, but like, uh, yeah, but does that. Uh, I'm surprised. Uh, all we're gonna say. Well, let me let me give you uh, what low blood pressure means, and you'll be like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." As I'm wearing a hooded jacket right now, when it's like 70 degrees in here, it means that you naturally run cold and you get dizzy spells when you stand up. That's all oh, like low blood pressure is. It's yeah. not like you're. I just thought you were like chill, like you never, because like high blood pressure <laughs> stress, right? Like, okay, I that thought, was like, such a backhanded compliment, like such a backhanded insult. Was 
I'm just like, <laughs> you don't strike me as the low blood pressure person. And to me, low blood pressure associates chill vibes. You are not chill vibes. I mean, I'll I take it. That, you know, that, you know that is a good thing, Caitlin. It's a balance because I'm, which I'm the opposite. They always tell me I have high blood pressure. You like, do? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I also hate doctor's offices. So like I credit it, like I've done it at home and it says it's fine. Mm. But like doctor's offices, I just like the sterileness, the whole thing. I like get a little freaked out in there. So mm. yeah, that's my credit. But I, I would say, I don't know. I would, I've just tried to deflect from my backhand. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kate. I mean, I I will take it. Sometimes I'm a little bit of a sporadic person who creates unnecessary fires, but a lot of I would time say I focused. I would say focused. you're focused, right? You like I do not con I do not contribute chill with focused people. You're not like that. Mm -hmm. Does not mm -hmm. you're you're driven. Yes. <laughs> Look at me doing that. Yeah. Thank you. We'll leave it at that you're for everyone please, listening. Please move on. <laughs> You heard it here first. Zach thinks I'm driven. That's the, that yeah. was the full circle point yeah. of that conversation. I'm a driven go. individual. All right, moving on. Um, so, right. So the mid nineties, they started like literally diagnosing and asking patients about their pain, which to me is mm. ludicrous because I understand chronic pain is an actual, uh, illness people suffer through chronic pain do i understand chronic pain no i don't so i don't even want to get into that yeah. but for you as a doctor to leave it up to the patient is ludicrous to me um yeah because my pain tolerance is very different than your pain tolerance yes yes um and isn't there but isn't there like a scientific way to test that yet like because really it's just like nerves sending information to your brain right if there's a lot of nerve activity then there's probably i don't know i'm not this is why this is where pharmaceutical companies get us ask your doctor i'm not a fucking doctor i don't know i'm just you could have sold me on that i think I, that was like your marketing language coming out a little bit it's like <laughs> nerves equal firing to the brain which equals pain nailed it yeah I, I mean that's like i don't know okay you're right though sorry i keep distract i keep mm -mm. i keep putting us on tangents but you're right like it's all even perception isn't there like it, you can have like false pain right if you're just like totally uh, is like just focusing on it or nervous about it right totally so, um so in the mid 1900 1900s <laughs> the mid 1990s <laughs> purdue pharma released what legendary pill oxycontin mm. and began promoting their opioid products heavily all right so that was it all began with purdue pharma it all began with opioids how did they do it how did they market yeah. this product heavily um actually maybe i'll toss it to you if you were in that seat how would you go ahead and market an opio opioid to an industry that hadn't previously used opioids yeah, that's a great question. I think two pronged approach, right? Uh, first is, and I know they did this. So like, I'm cheating a little bit, but sending sales reps to doctors offices to get doctors to prescribe. I mean, especially if you have close competitors that do similar effects like Cialis and Viagra, right? Like they both have the desired effects. It's, it's up to the doctor to write the prescription. Right. So they have the license. You go to them, you market to them, you woo them to sell more uh, Oxycontin over competitors. Um, the other piece is you uh, uh, 
we see it all the time. Uh, marketing campaign, promoting benefits, promoting happy living, targeted at people with chronic pain, with what I consider to be one of the best call to action taglines ever created in advertising. Ask your doctor if this is right for you. So you're prompting them to yep. ask about their specific product yep. uh, in the doctor's office. So that was yeah. my two. Yeah. Yep. Nailed it. And uh, so you went with uh, you market direct to consumer and you market direct to the person prescribing, uh, mm -hmm. which is exactly what Purdue did. They lobbied lawmakers. So they oh. had people on the inside. They sponsored continuing medical education courses. Uh, oh. They funded professional and patient organizations. And of course, what you just mentioned, they sent representatives to visit individual doctors. So they were taking what like you said, the education course, then they went to the lawmakers, and then they went to the doctors, and then they went direct to consumer. Um, I have a question. Oh, do uh, you know? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go no, ahead. I was just going to say their marketing message uh, was emphasizing, like you said, not the benefits, but the safety and the efficacy and the low potential for addiction of prescription opioids. Wow. They yep. specifically put that in the messaging? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. There is low potential for addiction and they backed it up with some sort of bullshit study. Yeah. Yeah. What was your question? I I have a question. Do you know what they lobbied lawmakers for? Was it like subsidies to like try to get the government to like, you know, how they subsidize like different medications. And so it's cheaper for the consumer to buy. Is that, do you think that's what they lobbied lawmakers for was, Hey, subsidize this, this America's in pain, subsidize this painkiller. And so it's cheaper on the consumer end, which makes it more feasible. They still yeah. make the same amount of money because the government's subsidizing it. Um, do you, yeah. do you know what that, that is? is a, or? That is a fantastic call out. I don't know, but in my research that did come about where it was like opioids at face value to the consumer are super cheap because yeah. insurance companies cover this. Um, yeah. and lawmakers of course have a decision in what insurance covers and what they don't yep. cover. So I think Definitely. you're spot on. I think that was the lobbying aspect of it. Crazy crazy um so they're uh because they were advertising uh the low potential for addiction of course they got doctors on their side which was really the big ticket for them uh purdue pharma focused the initial marketing of oxycontin on suburban and rural white <laughs> communities mm. that strategy took advantage of the prevailing image of drug of a drug addict as an African or Amer American or Hispanic person who lived in the inner city. And I think this was the most genius thing that they did. They targeted white communities and these white people were starting to get addicted, but the pharmaceutical companies can be like, wait, these aren't addicts because as you see an addict, they are African American oh. and Hispanic people. Those are addicts. That is what America painted a picture of an addict to be. But mm. then you see a white person who's starting to get addicted to opioids and you're like this isn't what an addict looks like and yeah. this kind of uh the, it stigmatizes like when you think of an alcoholic this is kind of on my rant it's like when you think of an alcoholic you think of an like a bum a homeless person sipping a, 
a beer, a 40 out of a brown paper paper bag underneath a bridge. Like there mm -hmm. is always a picture that is painted associating associating an addict. And a lot of the times I would I would say 75% of the time that is not what an addict looks like. Absolutely. An I addict is high functioning. They're they're a part of society. They're holding down jobs. They just have some dark demons that they're fighting in the background. Yeah. I think I think of it with like uh you go alcohol and I go cannabis, right? Like cannabis addiction is very real. Not not so much in the chemical sense, or, but a little bit, but more in like the gambling sense, like the process of it, the doing it, like having it. Um, and like I said, like people are addicted to it and you typically think of the dude in a drug rug on his couch surrounded by a mess, but there's, we worked in the industry. There's plenty of them that like cannot function, yeah. cannot function without first thing in the morning, yeah. rolling one up. Right. Well, there, there's a numbing. Yeah aspect yeah. to all of the all of these drugs Correct. and that is again cannabis gives you that cannabis gives yep. you the ability to numb um so um uh okay well, so I, can i well before we go can i comment on that i think that i think you're right that that's a terrific strategy especially if you're really lobbying lawmakers and the public like you know suburb a mom with three kids living in the suburbs there's no way she's an addict, right? Yes. Like she's, she has three kids. She's has a house. Like it's, yes. it's good strategy. Terrible. Uh, but it's also very interesting yeah. too, because, and I've watched a couple of documentaries on this where it's like, that is why we were so quick to categorize this as an epidemic versus the 80s where crack was really prevalent in yeah. african-american communities like the bronx or you know yeah. kind of like urban areas nobody was quick to categorize that as an epidemic even though it was killing off people at the same rate that heroin was um Fascinating. And so people were so quick to be like holy fuck, white people are dying <laughs> wow Let's fix this problem you know yeah. i mean the the we don't need to go into the racial disparities this isn't what this podcast I mean, is about it's but well it is documented worth, it's well documented yeah. and it's worth mentioning that there was tactics behind targeting urban yeah. uh community no so i'm sorry not urban communities but rural white suburban neighborhoods it, fascinating and i think you bring up a good point of even the word epidemic right like they they didn't call it a crack epidemic they no. don't they like I think that just means it's like that that just means it's something rolling through society that we need to take a look at that there's a problem I don't know yes you're yes. so right that word totally. is so carefully tailored um, yeah so frustrating this is where we dig in who oh, worked on the marketing campaign for Purdue um have you heard of the agency called Publicis uh yes Yes, yeah, they had headquarters in Seattle or maybe not a head. Well, yeah, headquarters or an office or some office. sort of like yeah. whatever. And this was a company that I like I applied to them when I was a young, when I was in my 20s. Like I know of publicists. They were the people partnering with Purdue in the 90s. Um, Are they promoting it on their website? I doubt it. <laughs> oh, no. Hell no. I, I went to their website and I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But uh, so Purdue alone 
paid publicists more than $50 million for its work. And that doesn't even, that that's not even the ad buying or the media yeah. buying space. That's just for the work. Um, and if, to publicists credit, I will give them a little bit of credit in 2016, which was long after they should have I said mean, something. Yeah. But they did say like, they went to Purdue and say, we need, you need to shut down your sales force um, to quote, fully embrace a deeper held responsibility for what is going on. Um, but that's all they said. And they continued to take their money. Um, last year, Zach, in 2021, Massachusetts is now suing publicists. But isn't that wild oh. that it took this long? And, but I kind of like, like, this is, this is the outcome of this quote epidemic. It's not a quote, I'm sorry. It's an epidemic. This is the outcome of this epidemic is now they're not only targeting Purdue and the Stackler family who owns Purdue. I think it's Stackler's or Stackler's or something. Something um, like that. Uh, they're not targeting them. They're targeting all of their associates. So they went after uh, publicists in 2021. Um, I tried very hard to understand exactly what work publicists did, and it is nowhere to be found. Yeah, they hit it pretty deep. <laughs> they, I yeah, they mm -hmm. don't. They obviously are like, nope, wasn't us. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I went to their website obviously a, a, an awesome website, but um, their tagline is wellness and health. They're really, <laughs> really doubling down on wellness, which is what we see in the cannabis space is like mm. people flip the script with mm. drugs. They market it as wellness mm -hmm. and that's not wellness. Like the health industry is not wellness. It's a medical industry. Yes. Yes. Wellness is meditating and you can't sell meditation. <laughs> wellness is opinion. goop. Yeah, no, I'm with goop. you. You can't say <laughs> yeah, that's wellness. No, I I think that's fascinating. What is your gut reaction? So let's talk through their their because I do know like Purdue Pharma just got I it's either pending or recently came through that they got to pay out the federal government and I don't know if you're getting into that but they have to pay like a significant and the Sackler family yep. a significant amount of money yep. uh, in response how do how do you feel as an agency owner mm -hmm. seeing an agency mm -hmm. being sued by a state for their marketing work mm -hmm. right like they didn't produce the product but they did provide marketing I like okay i'm gonna leave it at that i have opinions but what are your thoughts like as an agency owner yourself does it make you conscious of like the clients that we're gonna take on like what oh, do you think absolutely i mean as i was researching this i had my own kind of moral dilemmas on like if a company were to come to you in the early the mid 1990s where they're saying that this drug is addiction free and they mm. say we'll pay you 50 million dollars like, I don't, I, oh my God. I mean, of course but, I'm going to take the higher ground at this stage <laughs> because I can see what happened. I'm going to be like, no, we would never yeah, take that never, money. But never. I think we would take that money. Like, oh, and if they're like, here is science to back yeah. up the proof that this is a non-addictive pill, I'd be like, I, I don't have a, a, 
pool of researchers or scientists in my back pocket to rely on to yeah you know do the, do our own studies i i take your word for it and i, I completely agree with that it, it, and uh you know i i do want to also say that um publicists argument at this stage was to say our role was limited to implementing Purdue's advertising plan and buying media space. Mm -hmm. um, and they were quoted saying, we look forward to a court determining that there's absolutely no legal legal basis that supports this lawsuit. So um, yeah, and, and, and I, I think have to right, though, you know, um, I mean, like, if we were to take on you have to rely on the companies on if if Purdue Pharma is giving them research saying this is not addictive. How else will an advertising agency know that it's actually addictive? Like are they they're beholden to whatever Purdue's research is like they're not going to go out and conduct their own. Like that's not the role of an agency, right? That's not our role. That's not our expertise. Even if yeah. I was to call on scientists, like I, I am that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about like the ad agencies that did tobacco products, right? Mm -hmm. Like they kept coming out with science that everything was like Don Draper. People. Yeah. Don Draper, Mad Men, that everything was like, it was bad for you. It was bad. It was killing people. But like the tobacco companies would come out and say, you know, four out of five doctors smoke too, or some, some like there's, yeah. At what role is it an agency to, yeah. to like, I guess health is just a different animal, right? Like I mm -hmm. think ad this is where advertising in the healthcare space is touchy. And publicist has their own uh, publicist is, a, is such a big agency that they have different agencies specifically tailored to different industries. And mm -hmm. this one is specifically publicist health LLC. Their whole role is the health and, and you hit on that. Like, what a risky fucking industry why would you even put yourself in that industry like we'll maybe touch it with the 10-foot pole and we'll explore it but like never would i i don't know but they have so much money is the thing it's a public sector yeah. i mean a private sector i've done um, so in my previous work at an agency a hospital was on our roster and mm -hmm. we like did marketing and advertising for a hospital um and it's just it's it's a gray area all around, right? Like you're, you're on one sense, like highlighting their care and their research, which is awesome. But on the other sense, like people are pan, what, what does everybody do first thing when they feel sick or they have something weird going on? They fucking go to Google like goddamn idiots, but they go there. So we structure campaigns about like people in a panic and trying to find out things about their own body. And it's all marketing. As soon as you Google something, that whole page is marketing. Yep. And it just, it's, it's a gray area for me. Yeah, totally. You know? Totally. Um, so I think the outcome of that little conversation was like, I don't know that we can completely fault the marketing agency. Um, and it will either. this, I think it'll be really interesting to see what the outcome of this lawsuit is. Um, yeah. In addition uh, to uh, Massachusetts suing publicists, they're also suing McKinsey and Co, which is probably the largest consulting firm in the nation Good. if not world yeah some um, of the most evil people like that i don't know if you want to if you want to get doom scroll go look at some past work of mckinsey and co 
why do we run across McKinsey and co so often in our, like they are everywhere. Like no matter where I go, it's like all roads lead to McKinsey and co. Yeah. They're everywhere. No, it's because we see (laughs) fucked up situations and we trace them back. And McKinsey and co is like this, like people want to believe in the Illuminati and shit. Fucking look up McKinsey and co like that, that company is like, has a hand in every evil decision like yeah they're ruthless man they're ruthless so the the lawsuit with mckinsey and co uh um they are being asked to pay 650 million dollars to resolve lawsuits by all 50 states awesome (laughs) awesome um awesome so okay what is also interesting about publicists going back to the marketing agency at the same time (laughs) that they are accepting money from purdue the same time the uh, employees are pitching their services to a partnership to end addiction, which is a nonprofit famous for its TV ad, This Is Your Brain on Drugs. Isn't the mm. irony in that is so mm. sweet. Um, so that they pitched them and won that based off of their pitch that they are quote immersed in the evolving national opioid medication dialogue going on between pharma companies via our inside access to trusted and informed consulting partners so they said hey we understand the opioid epidemic better than anybody else because we are on the inside of it let us run your ads and they won that account yeah wow that's yeah. ruthless. That is ruthless. And I also want to say, like, nonprofits are largely funded by government subsidies. So I want to say, like, I want to point out the fact that, like, this opioid crisis costs taxpayers a ton of money, not only in a very obvious way, but in a marketing way. Because here you are, this nonprofit organization is now paying publicists to counter message the other message that they are advertising um so i just want to point that out too like our tax dollars are being just thrown around yeah oh yeah definitely definitely i don't know how do you how do you reason with that as an agency owner do you what's your stance do you take the money i mean do you like okay they're two different clients right and you treat them as two different clients i worked for a a commercial photography company um that this is nowhere near the same but a little bit uh it we had a client that served the same purpose they both sold kitchenware and the owner of that company was first of all kind of a nazi if i do say so myself but she oh okay okay was that too far i don't know her you're gonna have to tell the story now that's quite the claim going in okay she was just very she she was just very uh controlling and oh i took it as like anti-semitic and i was like oh okay ah ah okay yes yes controlled all of it yeah okay um but we were we were servicing the same company basically selling the same product and she would do we would do everything in our control to hide it we were not obvious about it we would not put it in our portfolio that we served these two companies so as a marketing agency i would probably 
as the owner, I'd just be like, well, let's not tell the other person, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, Unless they ask, you know, like I've had pitches where they're like, do you have any other clients like the, like me? Yeah. And, and a lot of times that works like, yeah. in our benefit. Yeah. It's like, yes, we know the industry. We've served some of these companies, but if they're direct competitors, then we would probably hide it a little bit. I don't know. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think just keep them separate, you know, yeah. there's a we reason why they're not actually competitors. Yes. <laughs> um, so the, like, I think, sorry, I went off on a tangent. You could probably just cut Me that too. out. Me too. I keep, <laughs> I, I keep throwing, I think keep throwing curveballs at you, Caitlin. I just find I like the pharmaceutical marketing stuff is just, it, I think it creates a lot of interesting dilemmas as an advertising company coming from totally. a marketer. I totally. Think it creates a lot of interesting dilemmas. And I think just to go back to your question, um, would you accept the money from the nonprofit while also accepting the money from Purdue? Um, I think at the time, the marketing agency publicist didn't fully understand the addiction, the addictive elements of the opioid. So they could honestly say that like, we're not marketing drugs, we're marketing yeah. a medication. Um, I think that's fair. And if they're marketing it as non-addictive and then working with the addiction control society or whatever that was, like that kind of does go hand in hand. You're like, we're promoting this non-addictive quote unquote yeah. uh, solution to pain. And then we also want to cure addiction. So it's a core focus of yes. ours to not proliferate. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I can see how they, they reason that. Fair enough. So um, that's kind of the history of leading up to like where we are now. So I'm going to throw some facts at you and some numbers because oh I know you're these are going to be not fun. Yeah, these are going to be not fun numbers. Where are we now? Americans pay more for drugs and medical devices than any other country. Like so price that, point, or do we just consume more? Consume. Oh. Does that surprise you at all? To me, it didn't. But Absolutely thought- not. Our diet's terrible. Our our the way we take care of ourselves is terrible. You know, when yeah. I lived in Europe, all the all the like I didn't see any old fat people. Like they were all like still fashionable and skinny and doing everything healthy. Um, even down to like our portion sizes. Like when you order at a restaurant and you just get huge shit. Like yeah. I I can totally see that. We're just we're just not. Did, well, did it surprise you? No, it didn't. Yeah. But I think there's also something that you're not taking into consideration is that the U.S. is only one of two countries that allow direct-to-consumer um, pharmaceutical message marketing. Wow, what's one the other two. country? What's Can you the, guess? Do you know? Would you? What England, would you? <laughs> UK. That is a good guess. Uh, New Zealand. Oh, weird, huh? Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's so, and that is that is the crux of it right there like direct to consumer mark- yep yeah wow and here's and here's the thing that. it's like pharmaceutical companies come at it from the angle where like and this is god what we see time and time again with all of these medical uh topics that we cover like theranos mm. uh elizabeth holmes it's like 23 and me let's give the information to the consumer they deserve the information they deserve to have the rights to make their own informed decisions but this is so problematic um 
So, so problematic. Let's unpack direct to consumer ads that we're currently seeing. Yes. So they come in three forms, uh, product claim ads. These ads talk about a drug, the condition it treats and its risks and benefits. Mm. Uh, reminder ads. These ads remind people about the drug's name but do not talk about its uses. And then the third direct to consumer ad um, is, and I guess this is kind of like not necessarily ad, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? This is more like the messaging yeah, of the direct yeah, yeah. to consumers. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third kind of message is help seeking ads. These ad talk about a disease or a condition without discussing specific drugs. So it's like, do you have COPD? Mm. which mm -hmm. for fuck's sake for like 10 years i thought i had copd because i kept seeing these ads and i, was I still like, think i have mesothelioma <laughs> you know i'm like <laughs> i'm like it's it's happening to me yes yeah um these companies uh spend the bulk of their budget on tv about four billion dollars then uh magazines follow a close second with about 1.5 billion spent in magazines and then newspaper and then radio and then billboards, movie theaters and other types of advertising took up a few million dollars combined. What? My, I had a knee jerk reaction to this. Why do you think companies are using this more traditional marketing approach? These are traditional yeah, avenues. Cause the older demographics are the ones Buy, going to the doctor and buying pills, right? Yep. Like, and that's what they consume, you yep. know? Yep. I, they I are not like, using, they are oh, not using ahead, Facebook. They're not using Instagram. They're not using YouTube. They're using these very traditional sources of media, which is like keeping these traditional sources of media alive pretty much. I Can also, you, I, I just also kind of, think, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I also think there's a, there's an element of uh, restrictions. Facebook can read every word that you put in your ad, right? Mm -hmm. Like automatically, like your messaging, because they walk that line so, so hard. Um, your messaging has got to be dialed TV. They, they like, you just put the ad in as long as it doesn't do anything crazy. They'll take your money, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. I just kind of like thought, uh, I had a side thought for a second is like, can you imagine this amount of money being fed into Facebook? Like how dangerous, how dangerous Facebook could potentially become if they started accepting these billions and billions of dollars. Scary. Like, yeah, we can't even get Facebook to take our, we have, if you have home in your name, you're classified as a housing ad like Facebook's. Uh, yeah. But if they started taking it and honestly, like it kind of makes sense for Facebook to start doing it because the demographic is shifting to where the pharmaceutical companies want it and can, uh, you know, consumption is up and well, they're on their last leg, honestly. So older millennials are like close to their forties now mm -hmm. and Gen Xers, these are the people that grew up with technology. And so the demographic is shifting into um, the, we spend all of our time in the digital media space. And yeah. I do want to say, too, that it's not that Facebook isn't accepting this money like they they they're still, they still running have some. They're still mm -hmm. running ads in the digital space, but it's not as prevalent as the media and as the newspapers and all of that good stuff, because yeah. that's where their demographic is. But 
I am very interested. Let's circle back to this exact podcast 10 years down the road. Yeah, I make a mental note of that. (laughs) Sure, I'll put it in my calendar. But they also, uh, yeah, I also like sometimes I spy on Fox News and like see what they're up to and watch them like hate watch them. Every commercial is pharmaceutical commercial, every single one. And that was a that was a call out too. It was the big four companies, CBC, NBC, ABC, and Fox. Those are the big companies that are accepting this money, which are relentlessly go back to the power of media. I mean, we've covered that a lot. Um, Go back to any of our podcasts covering actual media and the, and the detriment of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And you'll understand why this money is a dangerous is playing a dangerous role. Um, So I want to start talking a little bit about, Uh, the ads themselves and the impact that they're having. So in the late 1990s, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration regulated these ads by stipulating that they present a fair balance between the benefits and the risks. So that's why you see these ads that's like, they cause diarrhea and death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you will get a boner. So... Um, but here's where this backfired, and I think you'll get a kick out of this. Across, okay, so this is a, a study done by Harvard and SAT, I believe. Okay. Um, I'll get back to that. Across six experiments comprising more than comprising of more than three thousand U.S. participants, they found that when drug commercials included all side effects, so both the major death and the mm-hmm. minor diarrhea uh mm-hmm. consumers judged the overall severity to be lower than when they were exposed to only the major side effects uh so this led consumers to prefer the drug more and more and made them willing to pay more for it mm. D- does that make sense to you do you understand that yeah yeah so and then in the messaging you lead off and now i'm thinking back to like all the side effects because i try to pay attention i'm so curious why they like how they throw it in there and how they talk about the side effects when in these commercials and they do you're exactly right they start off with the major ones but then they end with the minor ones so those are the ones that kind of like the major ones are just kind of thrown in the middle so you're just kind of like taking them all in but when you add the last couple are the ones that you'll remember not Um, only that it's not only that but it's the presentation of information overload yep so it's called argument dilution bias and here's an example of this and I'm going to present two separate options and I'm yeah. going to test I'm going to test you. Yes. One one uh comment. Pill A. Yeah, Pill, pill A. a. <laughs> uh Tim spends about 31 hours studying outside of class in an average week. That's one okay. that's one example. Okay. This is another example. Tom spends 31 hours studying outside of class in an average week. Tom has one brother, two sisters. He visits his grandparents once every three months. He once went on a blind date and shoots pool about once every two months. Based off of those two examples, who do you think studies more? Who do you think has a higher GPA, Tim or Tom? Tim, the first guy. You played right into my card. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you just focus on Tom, play, person two's extracurricular activities, right? Like they both study the same amount, but like all the extracurriculars, you're like, oh, he must be busy. You know, like um, you just yes. assume that. 
Yeah. But they study the same amount, 31 hours studying, but you're not given the information of what Tim does in his extracurricular. Mm -hmm. Tim, there's he only studies 31 hours. What the fuck is he doing with the rest of his hours? He's doing, <laughs> he's doing the same amount of things that Tom is doing. You're just not presented with that information. Yeah. So uh, when research, when presented with these options, Tim, like you said, was rated as having a significantly higher GPA than Tom. And mm -hmm. the irrelevant information around Tom's grandparents and his casual play of pool diluted the value you and the importance of the relevant information in mm. his study habits fascinating I, it and is I, it and is i think this goes into storytelling right as marketers we're storytellers too and we have to do it in a very brief brief window right like a scroll of an ad 30 seconds we have to tell a story and you know my philosophy has always been just as much like when you're crafting a story the information you put in is important but just as important is what do you leave out? Even if you're writing a novel, right? Essentially, like you are choosing what to exclude from that story, right? To have the reader or that person focus on the important parts. Um, and so exclusion and inclusion are vital to any storytelling. Uh, mechanism. Yeah, but the interesting piece of all of this is kind of like counterintuitive to what you would think. It's like, if I just present a handful of um, severe side effects, people are more inclined to uh, not buy into those versus if I presented every single side effect from A to Z, people were like, fuck it, I'm not going to get like 90, but that's yeah. not going to happen to me. All of those things are not going to happen to me. Yes. Yes. But if I was just like, oh, this might cause death, I'm like, nah, I'm out. Mm, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you. It's like that's that's a fascinating tactic. I know, uh, and we it's being it's used in every single pharmaceutical commercial, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know one that just doesn't like yeah. pepper in. Um, so. So yeah. while the food and while the FDA kind of imposed this law that was like, you have to present all benefits, both good and bad, it totally fucking backfired because mm. it was like, jokes on you. Consumers are more likely to buy it when we list every single major and minor side effect of it. Yes. So, um, and I'll go into a couple other case studies. In one experiment, participants heard an audio commercial for Cymbalta, uh, a drug that treats depression. Depression. Mm -hmm. um, half of the participants heard the original commercial, which was 78 seconds. And then the other half heard a shorter commercial um, that removed the mention of three minor side effects. Those who heard the commercial in its entirety rated the drug lower in its overall severity of side effects. Wow. That was, so that was audio. We talked about visual. And now um, they also did the study with um, uh, a magazine ad too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like mm -hmm. all of that fine print, like nobody fucking reads that. Nope. Um, so in addition to the lower overall assessment of severity, uh, it increased the attractiveness of the drug. Okay, so Americans also have a high level of confidence in these ads when it comes to drug dangers. About 76% feel drug companies adequately explain side effects and risks, according to the survey by Harvard and Stat. 76% believe drug companies. Three out of every four people, if we're using pharmaceutical language, think that they're being forthright with 
their information? Yeah, I have nothing else to say. I feel like our silence says it all. I mean, mind blowing. That, I mean, incredible manipulation, right? Like incredible manipulation. I know. That there's all these historical just facts that these companies are just pushing these I know. drugs. I know. And people still are like, oh, yeah, at least they're, they're wow. They're using bullshit science. They're conducting bullshit, bullshit research that favors them in the studies, yet three out of every four people still believe that they are telling us the truth. <sighs> um, and get this. According to Kantar Media, two-thirds of adults take some kind of action after seeking, seeing, sorry, seeing a drug ad and about 40% make an appointment with their doctor. 40% of people make an appointment with their doctor after seeing one of these ads that we have just joked about. 40%. That is massive dollars. You know what it is, Caitlin? It like I said, it's the most brilliant call to action in advertising. Ask your doctor. Ask your doctor if this is right for you. You know, like brilliant, absolute terrible, awful, seedy, evil, but brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah 40%. Um, so just to, just to this is kind of my last thought, or not last thought, but last fact for you. Um, for every dollar spent on advertising to consumers, sales of prescriptions, dr prescription drugs rose $4.40. So the ROI is uh, one yeah. four. Jeez. Four I to mean, one. It makes sense. Four to one. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's why they keep doing it. And that's why these fucking companies spend two thirds of their budget on marketing and one third of their budget on research and development. Like they, it's, it's. Yep. 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 And I, um, so I actually have uh, the 10 most advertised drugs. Uh, this was in 2015. So wow, this is outdated. So maybe we'll keep this out. Okay. But I do want to, did you find anything about the B-roll, the, the psychology and the reasoning behind the happy, we talked about it, the moms running through fields, like, is there anything I, I see it in two and maybe let me toss it to you. Like I see them in twofold where obviously the B roll, the happy people jumping in a lake, the vanilla white dad, just like doing dad things. Um, and then the other one is like more like graphic, like, you know, graphic heavy, like showing the condition or showing something that's going wrong and showing a little animation, like a fun approachable animation of how the pill works and how it can help. Do you have any thoughts on their reasoning why they do? I think the animation makes it approachable, but why this B-roll when you're talking about disease? Like what is your thought if you're creative director? What's I the think what's the reasoning? It's such a distraction method. It's like you're watching this woman walk through the farmer's market with a smile on her face with her children. And the visuals are so much more impactful than what is actually being said over the B-roll. I think that's my most obvious answer. I didn't have any, I don't have any research to support that. Yeah, it, I think I think you're right. Like it's, but it's so tacky, right? Is it? It's like a totally. lame attempt at subliminal messaging, right? I know, like it's, but it's, it has to be working because one forty percent of Americans then make an appointment with their doctor. Yeah, 
It so it is. So it's tacky. totally subliminal messaging, and it is. It's so cheap. Not in mm. production value, but like it. it no. Cheapens. It's just I like don't know. The, the tactic. Like I think there's so many different ways that you could approach it, right? I think direct to consumer are my overall note from our episode today is direct to consumer pharmaceutical marketing needs to go. Like we are not the experts. We've talked about this in the health field. We are not the experts of our own body. Doctors spend 12 fucking years learning the ins and outs, hands-on training, nurses as well, certifications left and right. These people are busting their ass to know what to do in the situation. Yeah. Stop fucking making decisions for yourself. Just go yeah. there, find a doctor you trust, you'd like, talk to them. You know, like fucking shit. Did you just man. say talk to your doctor? <laughs> yeah, go ask your doctor if talking to him's right for you. <laughs> talking to them. I'm so sorry. That was a Freudian slip where I called the doctor a him. That was my bad. My bad. See, like my fault. Shoot. I mean, I, I think there's also I am such a big believer. The only power that I have as a consumer is where I spend my money and I will fight this and my voting power, right? Yeah. I can vote and yep. I can vote with my dollar. Yep. And please just, if there's anything that you take away from our podcast is vote with your dollar. I mean, that is why I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> that is why yeah, I do not yeah. eat fish. That yeah. is why I, you know, there's, there's, that is why I do not purchase fast fashion. Like you as a consumer hold so much power, everyone, you really do. And it's I mean, up to you to figure out where you spend your money because these really evil companies are nothing without you. They are nothing yeah. without you. So I just want to say, don't ask your doctor. <laughs> uh, yeah. It turns out I don't have COPD, even <laughs> though the companies would like me to believe I do. You know, I don't have fucking shingles, yeah. <laughs> even though yeah. like you see a rash pop up and you're like, Cialis would be right for this. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, um, I, I'm so uh, I'm so on board, and I'm glad we're ending with that too. Is is voting with your dollar? And just my last note is like. Uh, you, you know, the Republicans always are like, these companies are going all liberal. They're appealing. But do you know why they're, they're standing up for gay rights and, and coming out against Roe v. Wade decisions yes. is because the dollar, yes. right? They know their customer base. If they take a stance or don't take a stance in the case of Disney, where it's just kind of like, uh, yeah. yeah, um, they lose the power of the dollar is everything corporations so yeah uh, uh home depot so home depot their owner and hobby lobby their owner like actively fights against anti-transgender laws or actually actively fights mm -hmm. for anti-transgender laws so it's like when i have the option to go to home depot or lowe's i'm going to lowe's yep because yeah. I don't support that. And so I don't know. I just have to say, like, do your research on who these companies are funding. Yeah. And, and I commit arson in the Hobby Lobby. So I just go in and burn the place to the fucking ground. <laughs> <laughs> I've never stepped foot in a Hobby Lobby. I have no idea. Let me take that back. Michael's all the way. Are they similar <laughs> products? I guess. I don't know. No, you're you're we're not crafters. So you nope, we have nope. no say in this argument. Nope. Anyway. Anyway, sorry for the last tangent. You've made it through for the rest the whole entire episode. We needed to lighten it up talking about pharmaceuticals. Yep. Um Caitlin, do you have any notes on our Facebook group upcoming uh 
No, uh, I just want to yep. say that we will post uh, some behind the scenes on our Facebook group, Manipulating the Podcast. Um, and that's where you can find all of our coverage. Uh, and for the latest episode, it drops 8 a.m. Tuesdays. Yes, it does. And please, please rate us. I don't care. You can give us one star and tell us we're beautiful or five stars and tell us we need to go to hell. I don't care about the system. Let us know some feedback. Caitlin and I are in this bubble. We're just talking to each other. We get like yes. anecdotal. My mom's the only feedback I get. I <laughs> yes. need some outside feedback. I need somebody to give me the real deal. Yes. Where can we get better? Where can we make this uh, more informative to you or if you love it five stars I mean and you know I'll give you a little virtual high five but yes please yes. review the show um, yes. let us know what you think that's have it. a great day go ask your doctor if listening if to another podcast. manipulating the masses podcast is right for you the answer is yes go watch our previous episode listen to our previous episodes watch I guess we're now on YouTube oh my so, god do you ever stop talking nope bye <laughs>